important is it to live curiously in today's world? Hi, my name is Divya Haralila and I am a fashion editor and consultant based in Hong Kong. It was my avid curiosity as a child that led me to pursue a career in journalism. Fashion intrigues me because it's a reflection of current society, its desires, needs, and obsessions. Over the past two decades, I've been privileged to meet and work with some of the most creative and talented minds in the industry, in countries across Asia, Europe, and beyond. Today, I've been invited by Joyce to host an episode of their new podcast series, Live Curiously. It delves into the minds of some of fashion's most innovative and pioneering creators. Through a series of uncensored conversations, we will explore the inspirations and motivations behind their craft, as well as their desire to keep curiosity alive through their work. I am super excited to speak with Joseph Altuzara, the half Chinese American, half French designer, who's empowering women with his new take on sexuality. He is also a man whose designs dominate my own personal wardrobe. Um, so I read that you've loved fashion since you were a teenager. So why did you decide to become a designer in the first place? Um, you know, I think a lot of it was that I was attracted to the transformative power of clothes. Part of why I loved fashion since I was a teenager is because I was a very nerdy, like geeky teenager. And I didn't have a lot of friends and didn't feel that good about myself. Mm. And, and I think that I had always felt that if I had the right pair of pants or like the right sweatshirt, um, that I would that I would be like more popular. Really? And even though that didn't really happen, I think that clothes give you a certain power. They give you a, an emotion. And I do feel to this day that, you know, there are certain pieces that I put on that I just feel better in mm. and I feel dressed and I feel ready for the day. And some clothes make me feel really reassured and mm. very calm and homey. You know, I think that's a really wonderful thing to be able to create pieces that someone can have that kind of connection with. But of course, growing up in Paris, I mean, Paris is like the home of couture. I mean, were you inspired by seeing all those designers around you and all the beautiful clothing around you? I was, you know, I was. I think when you grow up in Paris, the fashion industry is like a cultural monument. Mm, like, absolutely. You really grow up with this sense of pride for, you know, all of these fashion houses. And that was something that I, um, I think that's something that's really shaped me. Mm. Um, and that was really influential in my in my childhood. But then eventually you ended up in New York. Why New York? I ended up in New York because I went to school in the US, in Pennsylvania. Ah. It was not a fashion school. <laughs> and when I was graduating, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I sent my resume to a bunch of fashion companies. And I later learned that an assistant at Marc Jacobs had been asked to alphabetize all the resumes. And Altuzara was at the top. Ah, uh, lucky. <laughs> and so I was the first one called, first one who come in, and I was available. And that's sort of how I started my career. Started at Marc Jacobs. I went to Proenza Schooler. I also then worked for a pattern maker. Mm. Um, just because I hadn't gone to fashion school, I right. felt like I needed to learn more of the technical side. And then I went back to Paris and I worked for Givenchy. So most of your training came from actual experience versus school? Most of my training, really all of my training, came from working in the wow. industry. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. So when you actually, after working with all these wonderful brands, you branched out on your own, 
why, when there's so many fashion brands out there, what type of clothes did you want to create or what did you feel was missing for women? I think, truthfully, a big part of it was that when I was working in Paris, I felt that a lot of the pieces we were creating were pieces we were making for a runway, but not necessarily clothes that a lot of women could wear. Mm. Um, and, and I wanted to really start a company that would both have fashion with a capital F, but that would also have a certain sense of pragmatism and of reality. And I think I'm very lucky to have a lot of women around me, a lot of strong women who give me a lot of feedback, and that's very important because I'm a man designing women's clothing. Yes and you have to be a really good listener. And I think that from the very beginning, I've wanted to put women at the center of the brand and to really listen to women and to really observe women and be a sociologist in a way mm -hmm. and, and kind of like try to find solutions to the very complex and busy lives that women lead. And I think also there's an element of empowering women with your clothes and I think that also comes from the fact that you explore, you know, themes such as sex and sexuality. I mean, where does that come from and, you know, how does that play into your work? You know, the one idea that I started with in the very beginning when I started Altuzara was this idea that women were aging very differently mm. today than they were you know, 50 years ago. Like 50 years ago, if you were turning 50 or you were turning 60, it was kind of like your life was over, your sexuality's over, you can like put on your tweed suit and like go Retire. on about your business. <laughs> but a lot of women around me felt very differently about their bodies and about their sexuality as they were aging. You know, I think that today being a 50 or a 60 or 70 year old means something very different. Women take care of their body very differently. I think, you know, plastic surgery is much more prevalent. I think that women are getting divorced or, you know, dating later on and they want to feel seductive. They want to feel sexy, but not in the same way that a 16-year-old wants to feel sexy. And I think there were very few brands that were addressing that mm. and addressing like the real life concerns of a woman who is, for instance, 50 and who's comfortable showing her legs, but is not comfortable showing her arms yeah. or who really needs to wear a bra and can't wear a backless dress. I mean, they're not like super glamorous things to talk about, but when you get into a fitting room, with a client, everyone has something. I think that was the first reason. Mm. But the second reason is I do believe, and this is, I think, the really interesting thing about this new brand of feminism that has kind of emerged over the last few years, I really do believe that new feminism is about having a choice. It's about if you want to wear a mini skirt and you want to wear like a tube top and you want to be sexy, you should feel empowered to dress that way. And it doesn't mean that you should be objectified. And feeling empowered as a woman doesn't need to mean that you look like a man. Yeah, because I think also the Me Too movement has made women fearful of being sexy. Yeah. You know? and, and that's something that you can get from clothes, but in a different way. Yeah, and I think that's really something that I, of course, have been very aware of during this whole Me Too phenomenon is... You know, how do you continue to have this conversation about women's rights and women's relationship to their bodies without also being scared of sex? Yeah. And without neutering 
the idea that women can be sexy and should feel comfortable wanting to be sexy. Yeah. Because really the problem isn't about women wanting to be sexy, it's more with men thinking that's an invitation. Yeah. And are we allowed to be sexy anymore? Yeah. That's almost what it is. Yeah. So on the topic of women, do you have a specific muse or somebody that you design for? Is it a female version of yourself? I mean, I don't know. I've said this to my CEO recently. In a lot of ways, the Althusar woman is the woman that I wanted to be as a teenager. Really? She's everything that I was not. Like, she is fierce and she's fearless. She's confident, she's unapologetic, she's sexy. She's everything that I was not as like a meek, like nerdy teenager. And I think I really tap into that. Yeah. I tap into that kind of power and that desire. So if you don't have a specific muse per se, how do you start a collection? I mean, I was reading that you love to draw and that's something that's been a constant. So how do you build the collection? A lot of times a collection starts from a story, okay. either in a movie or like a book or like an article that I read. I think there is oftentimes a narrative that I'm interested in. And often it's a narrative of transformation. Like one of my favorite movies is Orlando. And I love this idea of like gender fluidity and, mm. and that kind of transformative narrative that the main character goes through. I'll pick a movie or I'll pick a story and kind of build the collection around it yeah. and pick references and concepts and prints. And you slowly kind of build it almost like a movie yeah. a little bit. And drawing is really important to me. I mean, it's really how I, I think, how I express an idea. So I spend a lot of time kind of experimenting and drawing and then draping what I'm drawing and seeing if it's actually going to work. And in the end, you sort of get a full collection. Yeah. So you have the inspiration formula down, but you know, you've been in the industry for more than 10 years now. Um, what has changed the most for you as a designer, whether it's in the industry or how you work or what women want? Um, I think, I mean, the biggest change has really been social media yeah. because it's really changed how customers are interfacing or having conversations with brands. It's really changed what kind of clothes people look for because selfie culture, I think, has kind of created this like generation of women who want clothes for pictures. And I've had stores say like, I don't want any clothes with, with details in the back. We only want clothes with wow. detail in the front. That's specific. Um, because people want to take pictures of themselves wow. from the front. So, you know, it's really changed everything from like the way I design to the way we actually are talking to customers. And it's it's good and it's bad, right? Yeah, has it hampered the creative process for you? Or? I mean, it's it hasn't hampered it because in a lot of way, like the bad is outweighed also with this incredible shot of like diversity mm. and inclusivity and new ideas, new people, rule breaking, and that's really invigorating as well. So, you know, I think it's a balance, right? It's like created an incredibly um, open forum that has led to a more inclusive, diverse industry. Yeah. Um, but it's also led to, I think, an industry that is 
incredibly fast-paced and focused on look rather than quality. Yeah, and and this is also something connected with social media is the fact that it's very much tied in with the youth and yeah. you know the new generation. And now you have brands always wanting to court you know the youth and the youth culture. And one thing I love about you is the fact that you know you try to appeal to all women, especially the older women. Yeah. How does that fit in a world now that's obsessed with youth culture, especially in the fashion industry? You know, it's such an interesting question because I really feel like, I mean, listen, in a lot of ways, I feel like I've always known who I was and what the brand was about and who the Altuzara woman is. And I'm not gonna go out there and design like, you know, a dad sneaker. Just because, <laughs> just because I feel like that's what I need to do mm. to follow a trend. I think there are enough people who do amazing dad sneakers. And if you want a dad sneaker, that's where you should go. I've always known if you want really good tailoring, if you want like a great day to night dress, you should come to Altuzara. And I do think in today's day and age, because of how much noise there is and because of how many brands there are, you have to be consistent and you have to stand for something. Even if it's a small niche, you have to own your world. Yeah. And do you find it's actually somewhat liberating to design for an older woman, maybe? less challenging because, you know, the youth are obsessed with trends and change. Do you find that older women want just something consistent and different? I think older women sort of feel sometimes like the forgotten woman. Yeah. Like, especially in our industry, which is so youth obsessed. And I find, I, I don't know if it's because I grew up in Paris and like in France, I feel like the idea of sexuality is more open mm. and there are so many more examples of women who are sexual later on in life. And I find women of all ages beautiful, but I find older women really beautiful yeah. and really seductive. And, and I think that that is something that I'm really genuinely inspired mm. by. Like I, I, I find that so appealing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it really comes from a place of like authenticity. Like that's really what I feel passionate about. Like I just don't feel as passionate about making a sweatshirt. Yeah, amen. Thank God <laughs> we don't need another sweatshirt. <laughs> Over the past decade, Joseph has emerged as one of the industry's most loved and respected designers. While the industry around him has become obsessed with courting the youth, his diverse clientele ranges from high-profile celebrities to women in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. His cuts and shapes, an eye for detail, flatter all body types, while empowering women with a sophisticated sensuality that is missing from fashion today. You mentioned something about your French background, and I was wondering if that has influenced your craft and how you work and how that sort of works in conjunction with the fact that you live in New York in, in yeah. a completely different city. Yeah. You know, I think that growing up in Paris and being French definitely has instilled certain like aesthetic values. And, you know, I always also say that in France, France is much less of a culture of perfection in the way that America is. Like it's much more about kind of embracing your imperfections, sometimes highlighting your imperfections, being much more body positive and confident mm. in in who you are and what you look like, as opposed to, I think, sometimes in the U.S., it is a culture of modification to be perfect. Like, it's much more of a culture of plastic surgery and of exercise and of diet. Yeah. 
So I think, you know, I always try to come at fashion from that perspective, mm -hmm. from the perspective of, of wanting to beautify women no matter what their shape or age is. And I think being in New York, I think, has really helped me understand the complexity of being a woman who works, mm. who has a family, who has to drop off the kids, go to the office, then go to a cocktail party, then has to have dinner. And I think it's so prevalent there mm. and it's such a big part of the culture. And I think that's made me a better designer. Yeah. And of course, in the past few years, you've started to show in, in Paris, which is amazing. But I'm curious if being labeled American has been something that maybe has not been such a good association for you? Because, you know, people don't, especially yeah. in the luxury industry, you know, oh, well, you're an American label. They don't really know luxury. Yeah. They don't know craft. They don't know couture. Yeah. It's really funny, actually, because even though we were, were working with the same factories as, you know, Saint Laurent or Gucci or Balenciaga, people's perception of what you do is so different. And yeah. they'll be like, oh, but it's American, so it should be a little cheaper. And I'm like, Ugh. but it's produced <laughs> in Italy and all the same places as all the other brands that you buy that are expensive. Why should it be cheaper? You know, hopefully that will change. Yeah. Um, I do think showing in Paris has helped a lot. I mean, the initial idea for showing in Paris was that I think we had really solidified this idea that Altuzara was an American-based brand, but people didn't know that I was French and people didn't know that I had grown up there and that most of the collection was produced there. And so I think showing in Paris was telling the other side of the story. And it's so funny because so many people, I think, have come up to me since the last couple of years and have said like, I didn't know you were French and you showing in Paris has sort of like changed my perception of the That's brand. Funny. And I wouldn't have thought that just like changing cities in which you show would have done that, but mm. it really has. Yeah. So we spoke a little bit about earlier about, you know, the pragmatic side of fashion and, and understanding what women want and their daily lives and their routines, making clothes for that. But where is the fantasy in fashion today? Do you still think it exists? I mean, especially now when we have so much emphasis on being commercial and, and selling, is there a space for fantasy, dreaming, curiosity? I think there really is. I mean, I think fantasy and creating things that are different and that feel new is really important. I actually think it's at the heart of what the luxury industry is about because really like the luxury industry is not a predictable industry, which makes it a riskier industry, yes. but so much more exciting as well. It's like mm. no one would have known like that sneakers would have been a thing or or that, I don't know, I can't think of a particular example, but I think what's, what's exciting about luxury is that you actually have to be curious mm. and you have to put something new out there. Because if you don't, you sort of become stale and you're just like running on fumes. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And that's like the risk factor. But you have to keep on being curious. You have to keep on pushing yourself. Um, and that's sometimes the hard part. Yeah. But do you feel sometimes constricted by the fact that a collection has to be commercial? I do feel you know, that finding that balance is very challenging. Yeah. And it's challenging because when you are a huge brand and you can afford to have a collection that's just for the runway, 
you can do insane things for the runway and then have a commercial collection that's kind of hidden away in the back. But when you're a brand like mine, even though we are you know, 10 years old and established, you know, we're still making clothes that we want editors to want to shoot. And we want clothes that feel new and innovative, but we also want clothes that make women dream and make women want to take out their wallets and buy. Um, And so, you know, finding that balance can sometimes be, you know, it can sometimes be a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's, there's lots of challenges, actually. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think, you know, moving forward now as a designer, you know, we talked about how the landscape has changed, commercial interests, social media, but what do you think will be the challenge looking forward for you? I think the challenge is that there are no more rules. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there used to be a roadmap for how to build a brand, and there really isn't anymore. And that's not necessarily just because of social media. Mm. I think it's I think it's a conflation of a lot of different things. But I think we're all building our own rules. That makes it exciting, in and a way. it makes it and it makes it incredibly exciting, and it also makes it incredibly scary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Do you think a lot about relevance and being relevant? Because you know we say that all the time in fashion. Oh, this design is so relevant. I mean, do you think that's important today to be successful? No, I don't. You know, I I think it's it's important if you think in the short term. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of designers who are not quote unquote relevant, who are laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, That's good marketing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I think that I never wanted to be cool. Like from the very beginning, actually, you could definitely see the appeal of being cool, but the risks are so great. It's like, if you're cool, it has an expiration date. Like someone will always be younger and cooler and more hip than you are. And that will leave you as a business in a really difficult position. In my humble opinion, I think it's better to be consistent and to have a consistent point of view and not chase trends, but have a longer term business. Yeah. And continue to create clothes that make women feel good because then they'll always come back to exactly. you, right? That's yeah. the key. Um, so, of course, the, the theme of this podcast is living curiously. And I wanted to ask you, what does living curiously mean to you as a designer? Do you live and breathe that or? I think for me, living curiously means being open. And it honestly is a very challenging thing to do because we're all so tired and drained. You know, it's like at the end of the day or at the end of the week after a long week, like the last thing I want to do is like, get on a plane and go somewhere new or go see like a German film yeah. from the 1950s. You don't um, have time to be curious right. from the sounds of it. But I think, you know, you sort of have to push yourself. And I think there is so much kind of, there is so much out there that can be challenging and different and that can inspire you. And I think you just have to sort of be open yeah. all the time. So I'm curious, actually, what other subjects outside of fashion, you know, really inspire you or pique your curiosity or... Because you don't seem like just a fashion man to me. No. Um, 
A bookman, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really love reading.、Mm. You know, I think that that really feeds my soul. I've become a really big knitter. Knitter, wow! Yeah. So we'll be seeing some hand hand knitted、yeah, pieces hand in the、knitting. collection.、Um, <laughs> the knitting has become a really big passion of mine. My mom was a big knitter, and she just gave me a winding machine for my birthday, which I'm really excited about. Wow! I love photography. I really love. I love stories. I'm a really big reader, and I'm a really big cinema person.、Yeah. And I'm always looking for something that's going to challenge me, or make me feel uncomfortable, or or give me a totally different perspective. And I think that's sort of what keeps me going、yeah. forward. I'm, now I'm curious.、Um, what would you be if you weren't a fashion designer? What do you think you'd be doing? I think I would work in TV. Why TV? I think that.、Um, I've always loved television. You can do costume、television. on TV, actually, so it works. <laughs> I've always loved television. We're living in like truly the golden age of、mm. television, and I think in a lot of ways, making a collection is very different from making a TV show. But you're really like creating a world. You're creating emotion. You're creating a story. I think I would really enjoy it.、Mm. Sounds fun, actually. I love、yeah. TV, Netflix, all the way.、Um, and last question. It's a big one. What do you want your legacy to be, or maybe a better way of putting it is, how do you want to be remembered for contributing to the fashion world? Huh, that is a big question.、Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, in the end of the day, I would like my legacy to be a legacy of kindness.、Mm-hmm. I just think that's really important to me, and I think that you know when I. When I die, I want people to remember me as a really nice person who made beautiful clothes. Who made beautiful clothes? <laughs>、um, that's sort of what I want to be remembered for. That's a good legacy, I think. Absolutely. Joseph, last but not least, could you please draw us a sketch of what living curiously means to you and explain it? I drew two eyes that are wide open because to me, living curiously is living with your eyes open. This has been the Live Curiously podcast by Joyce. I am Divya Harleela, and thank you so much for joining us. What does it mean to live curiously? Living curiously is the freedom to allow yourself to be naive, of making curiosity a ritual, a progressive mindset, and the commitment to go hardcore. Thanks for listening.